Howdy do and welcome back to the IBS Freedom Podcast. Were you surprised that I didn't say hello, hello, hello? I decided to mix it up for you people. Try to keep it fresh and fancy on this podcast. But welcome back. Um, You guys already know because you clicked on this episode that we're going to be talking about root causes. Super pumped. But Amy and I wanted to talk about something for just a couple minutes at the beginning of the episode because we've gotten some really good feedback on two episodes in particular. And we just wanted to encourage you to check them out if you haven't already. So the first one in this pairing, this twofer, is titled something to the effect of, you might have this and not know it. So intentionally slightly clickbaity title. Um, Spoiler alert, that episode is all about health OCD. And we talk about what that looks like. And like how to know if you might be struggling with health OCD in addition to some run-of-the-mill anxiety or run-of-the-mill stress. Um, And then this other episode that, as of this recording, just dropped last week, it was one week later, we interviewed an OCD expert, Jenna Overbaugh, and we're talking with her about health OCD and some of like the differences with anxiety and how to treat that. Um, But I was sharing with Amy before we hopped on, I had gotten some really good feedback, some folks reaching out to me and saying, yeah, the one titled, you might have this and not know it, dot, 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 totally have it. Thank you for that. Like, that was a really good episode. Um, And I feel like I just talked for like 15 minutes and poor Amy hasn't said a word. But you similarly have heard some good things about those episodes, right? Yeah, no, I was I was telling you before we hopped on. Yeah, I, I, I would say like, again, we get sometimes random people that are like, Oh, I really like this episode. But it seemed like it was an It was more than usual for an episode where people have been like, oh, this like really has me looking at things in a different way. Yeah. Um, And I think like the probably the the most interesting thing that that I think from the Jenna Overball interview that we did is this idea that like anxiety is very similar to OCD, like you really don't have to get necessarily in the nitty gritty, like, do I have OCD? Do I have anxiety? Like, it really doesn't necessarily matter. A lot of the same strategies are going to help with both. (laughs) Um, You know, you want to be able to resist rumination or things Mm -hmm. like, again, resist um, or resist not get hung up on them. Right. You want to be able to sit in some uncertainty And I think that that's so crucial when you're on a recovery journey, because if you're trying to control every aspect of it, it oftentimes prevents progress. Like if you want a linear process and to, and you want to understand how everything works and you want to understand what foods you react to and what foods you don't, you know, you, you have to experiment and there's a level of uncertainty there. And those interviews that or the interview we did and then the episode before I think are really helpful at you know you might not feel amazing doing these things or going outside your comfort zone Mm -hmm. and you can have some anxiety about doing it um but pushing through and pushing yourself outside your comfort zone helps you progress and having feelings of anxiety a lot of times we want to squelch them and just like, mm. ah, like avoid. resist, 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 avoid, 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 mm-hmm. ruminate, ruminate, ruminate. And it's like, if you can just kind of sit there for a minute, allow your body to process the feelings um, and realize that you can survive the feelings and move mm-hmm. forward. Um, I think that that's the way to go. And, and again, I'd highly recommend 
following Jenna. I know I've told Nikki like her content's really, really good. And she Amy just, reminds me I, every day to follow her. I don't understand. Like, I'm honestly like blown away because I don't understand how she makes so much content and then like has a job as a therapist because therapists too work insane hours seeing insane numbers of clients and patients in a day. And so then she she runs the social media for Treat My OCD, which is like the no OCD, mm. the no CD group. And then she has her own channel and has a subscription channel. So like I see her popping up with videos like five times a day and I'm just like, I don't know how you make these reels. Yeah. I love it. It's it's helpful, I think, for me. Um, but yeah, she it sounds like she's a wealth of information, though. Um, yeah. And can I also share something before I forget it? It flies on my brain. Uh, can I offer possibly the nerdiest analogy for what you were talking about with like being comfortable with some degree of uncertainty versus like clinging on to certainty? Yeah. Okay. Nerdiest reference. Recall, if you will, fair folks, the first Harry Potter book. Mm. When, by the way, if you have not read or seen the Harry Potter stuff, like spoilers, just <laughs> fast forward. Um, but also it's like 20 something years old. Where have you been? So in the first Harry Potter book, they go, they're going through all of the challenges to get into the chamber or whatever, so that they could get to the Sorcerer's Stone and, and get whoever's in there. They think it's Snape, it's not Snape. Anyway, so the very first one that they get through after they get by Fluffy, the three headed dog, they drop into like a pit. And they realize they're in there with this like vine creature thing. And the more they struggle, the vine latches onto them and is like choking them and smothering them. And the harder they fight against it, the more difficult it becomes. Mm. And the vine is is having it, this chokehold on them. But Hermione at some point, like she's yelling to them, just relax, because that's how she gets out of it. Devil snare, right. that's what it's called. I almost forgot that. But she's like just relax and it'll let you go. But Ron and, you know, Ron and Harry are like losing their damn minds the whole time. And they're like, ah, ah, we have to get out. What do we do? Hermione, help us. And they're just losing their minds. So finally, Hermione has to like use a spell to summon like sunlight to get rid of Devil's Snare. But the point is, if you think of OCD kind of like Devil's Snare, or anxiety, even like mm. if you think of that as like devil's right. snare, the harder you fight against it and thrash and try to resist it, I feel like the more it's going to take hold and really latch onto you and be right. persistent. But if you could just melt into that knowledge that like nothing in life is certain, I could get struck by lightning in five minutes. Who knows? Weird right. stuff happens on this planet all the time. And it doesn't make any sense. And it's not predictable. And like, you've got to be kind of okay with that on some level. But yes, it's, um, it's double snare from Harry Potter, in my humble opinion. Yeah, and it it, it circles back because a lot of there's sort of different. Um, there's different ways to go about anxiety and OCD type stuff. And there's something called, I think it's called like acceptance. It's it's called AC or it's is it called ACT? Not now. Is I'm it accelerated it. resolution therapy ART? Or is that different? No, it's okay. different. It's it's something that um, acceptance and 
now I can't remember it, but it's something that Emma therapy in a ah. nutshell does all the time. Like she's big okay. in that. And it's kind of like, you're supposed to kind of accept all the thoughts and feelings that mm-hmm. come in. Um, and it, I think it's more just like a willingness to sit in some feelings and be okay with mm-hmm. that versus trying to fight. Like what you're saying, combat yeah. with the feeling. So there's a, or emotions or thoughts or things that are coming in. It's like, Oh, there's just a level of like acceptance and willingness that they're there. You don't have to like fight them. Not every thought means every anything. Yeah. Um, but you it just kind of have to just, Steve. right. Right. Exactly. Good. But, um, it's fine. yeah, I think, I think that those episodes were, were f- fun to do just cause I've, I've been so into Jenna lately, <laughs> girl crushing on Jenna on her, <laughs> on her Instagram. Yeah. And she has a great subscription too. Um, but yeah, I'm like, she's been super awesome to follow. So bringing her on was really cool. Although I had COVID when we recorded. <laughs> yeah, good thing we were in person. Yeah, it was I know, like that I didn't, night. I didn't realize me. that I had COVID, but yeah. um, you could tell like my voice was like. <laughs> That's okay. You were yeah. beautiful to me still. So it's okay. Oh, thank you. And it was, it was a fun episode. I think it's one of those things like it's going to be really helpful and really impactful for the people who need it the most. Right. And if you're unsure, if you need to hear these episodes, check them out. It could be that you listen to it, you learn about it, and you're like, oh, this doesn't apply to me. Maybe it applies to a loved one. And you gather some tools to help a loved one. Because like, this is not an uncommon thing. Um, Maybe even if nothing else, maybe it helps you see the posts in the Facebook groups and the internet in a different light. Like maybe you see them differently and you see like, oh, some of these people are really like struggling with some health OCD and maybe they don't realize it. So I'm going to take what they're saying with a grain of salt. Um, But yeah, I think check it out. If it resonates with you, great. Um, If not, I think you could still learn something. I'm, I joked with Amy this whole time. I really don't think I'm afflicted by any degree of OCD. Like I think I'm like the anti OCD in a way, because I'm very comfortable with, with well, uncertainty. Look at risk. you being braggadocious about know, braggadocious. not having OCD. Ha-ha. Oh um, my gosh. But you know, it's, it's, uh, I have other brain lesions. That's the <laughs> thing. Okay. Life philosophy moment with Nikki, if I may. One of my biggest overarching life philosophies is we all have brain lesions. Some are just worse than others. So like the person who's always late for everything, <clears throat> my mom, that's a brain lesion. The person who's like just bitchy about everything and is miserable to be around, brain lesion. OCD, brain lesion. Um, the, right. You know, the person who's like got a lot of road rage issues, like brain lesion. We've all got these quirks. You could view them as personality quirks, personality traits, brain quirks, neurology quirks. It's all just brain lesions to me. Right. And like... <laughs> If you kind of look at them neutrally like that and without judgment and you just kind of shrug it off as like, eh, we all have them. They're all just different. And like some are right. more severe than others. Um, you know, it, I think it helps because like it's not to say, oh, you have OCD and it makes you like a bad person. Like, pff, right. absolutely not. Like, I like we all have our demons and our battles and whatever other analogy you want to cook up for this. Like we're all dealing with our own bag of bullshit and our own brain lesions. It's just like knowing your particular flavor might really, really help you. Um, so like right. knowing that I'm like a people pleaser was helpful for like when I came across that term or when I started reading about, you know, being highly empathic or being an empath, I was like, that makes sense. That highlights right. some stuff that I've done and some patterns in my life that didn't make sense before. Or like I judged myself too harshly for them before, but now I understand them and I can maybe like 
be gentler on myself and be kinder to myself. So Mm. knowledge is power. And one thing too, like, it's interesting because you just talking about being compassionate with yourself, I think is so like such an important skill to develop. And Mm -hmm. I don't think very many people have that skill. And it's interesting because during like my therapy for postpartum stuff, postpartum OCD and anxiety that's come up. um, One thing that I've really liked um, that my therapist recommended, I think her name is Kristen Neff. Let me double check. But she is like, I don't know if she's a therapist or what, but she specializes in teaching self-compassion. Hmm. Um, so she has a good Instagram. Um, yeah, her name is Kristen Neff. Uh, her me. Instagram is called Neff, Neff Self-Compassion. It's all one word, N-E-F-F, N-E-F-F. And, then, and then Self-Compassion. And she has, like, some good posts. Um, So she'll have, like, self-compassion phrases that come up. But she had, like, there was something that my therapist, yep, her, yep. But uh, my therapist had me do, like, this self-compassion break that was, like, a really small, like, meditation led by this lady. I think it was, like, five minutes. Yeah. But it was just, like, essentially it walked you through what she called the three parts of self-compassion. The first one is acknowledging that you're suffering, So like, Mm. oh, you're suffering with something. Maybe it's gut issues. Maybe it's, again, postpartum OCD. Maybe it's, Mm. um, you know, you're suffering with the loss of a loved one. Whatever it is, you're suffering in some degree. So you're acknowledging, I'm going through something that's causing me some pain and some suffering and some hardship. So that's step one. Step two is um, acknowledging that, everyone suffers. It's a human experience. Mm -hmm. So kind of acknowledging like, you know, a lot of people suffer. It's like a unique thing to being human. We're all suffering at different points in our lives. So kind of acknowledging that. And then the third thing is just like almost giving yourself some comfort. So like what phrases can help give you yourself some comfort? Like it's okay. Like she said, you can even use like, like sweet terms, like it's okay, honey. Like, Hmm. um, Mm -hmm you know, it's going to be okay. Or, um, I'm rooting for you, that kind of stuff, whatever you would resonate with. Hmm. It's almost like, how would you cheerlead for yourself? Yeah. Almost. Interesting. Um, like, Oh, I know you're going through a hard time. Um, and I like different things. I can't remember all the ones that she listed, but it's basically like how, what, what phrases could you take comfort in if you're Hmm. talking to yourself? Yeah. Um, anything would work. And sometimes she'll even say like, you can kind of put your hand on your heart or like when I was in therapy, she was kind of guiding it and said like, you can kind of rub your hand or whatever kind of gives you comfort too. You could do things physically as well. Um, Like hold your, hold yourself or whatever, whatever kind of feels Hmm. comforting to you. Um, So yeah, I I found that a really interesting exercise. So I've been kind of utilizing that too. It's like, um, if you're kind of struggling, having a bad day or something, you could revert back to that, which is like acknowledging that you're having a bad day and struggling with something that suffering is a human experience is step two. And then step three is like, how can you comfort yourself with like internal dialogue and maybe some physical touch, Mm -hmm. some, some way of calming yourself down. But I found it was like a really kind of helpful exercise. Um, 
I'll definitely, I already followed her account, so I'll check that out because. Yeah, she's got some good stuff. We could all use some more self-compassion. Yeah. Honestly, like that's something that I think pretty much the whole world is deficient in. (laughs) Right, Um, right. Yeah. But yeah, but uh, let me ask you this, my darling. We are 15 minutes into this episode. We have yet to talk about root causes. Shall we talk yes, about it? Yes, let's uh, do it. At least start giving the people theoretically what they signed up for today. But you, I think, you know, guys, we're 100 something episodes into this. If you don't know our personalities by now and that we like to go on tangents and ramble, like, welcome. I, I don't know. know. We thought we were going to maybe dial it back in season two, but no, no, I think we're no. here to stay. I think yeah, it's you can't you can't take the weird out of us. And I think that's right. a good, beautiful thing. But um, I would like to start with the root cause conversation by kind of giving us a framework of what are we talking about when we're talking about root causes? Mm. Um, This is like I've done some Instagram posts, and I probably will do more in the future on this. Um, I don't know about you, but I find most often when people say they want to know the root cause, like they want to understand the root cause of their SIBO or their IBS, Mostly they're talking about triggers, like the Mm. thing where it was like, I was fine one day and then bam, something happened and it dumped me into the gutter and I've never been the same since, like that kind of stuff. Um, But there are other types of root causes other than the triggering episode. And honestly, the triggering episode oftentimes is something that we can't go back and undo. Like if you got food poisoning in Chicago in 2014, eating a hot dog from a street vendor, like I cannot go back in time and tell the previous version of you, like, I can't go up to you on the street and like smack the hot dog out of your hand and say, don't eat that. Um, So oftentimes, like we can't undo the triggers, we can't go back and say, hey, don't take that amoxicillin for the viral bronchitis, like you don't need it. It's a viral infection. Or, you know, use this instead for the ear infection. Like, so it's like, it's satisfying to know what the triggering event was on some level. Um, Again, maybe, Mm -hmm. especially if you have a lot of anxiety and OCD, and like, you are craving that certainty, and you you just want an expert to tell you like, this was the thing that did it to you. End of sentence. Um, Oh, my something just flew across the table. I don't know if you saw that. Um, It like catapulted off my finger. Um, But you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's like the triggers can tell you a lot, but they don't tell you the whole picture. So as a starting point, I want to share the other two types of root causes, which I think are equally important, if not more important. You've got a type of root cause called antecedents, the terminology, like the terms don't even matter, but just for sake of the conversation. These are the things that nudge you closer to disease or dysfunction, but they don't necessarily tip you over the edge. So like, I'll just use my myself as an example. Um, I have celiac disease. So I must have the celiac gene, right? I can't change that. But like that kind of set me a little closer to the edge than somebody without celiac genes. Right. Uh, Then I had a truckload of antibiotics in my youth, like between the age of birth and 24. I had a metric ton of antibiotics. Like that, you know, each dose of antibiotic probably nudged me closer and closer to some something, you know, IBS or dysbiosis or dysfunction or candida. Um, 
you know, I had I had Lyme disease. And like, that was a lot to deal with when I was a teenager. And like that itched me closer. Um, I had like the stress of like the ear stuff growing up like that nudged me closer. But I was pretty okay, up until maybe give or take I mean, the creek water thing didn't help me probably. And the concussion didn't help me. But really, it was like the stress of grad school and like living with a roommate who in retrospect, I think is bipolar and was very challenging to live with at times. And like being away from my sweetheart, who was six hours away at the time, being really far away from my mom, who I'm really is close to. Is your sweetheart with. Mike? It is. Yeah. Okay. We that'd did the be awkward if, thing. That'd be what awkward it? if it wasn't Mike. <laughs> and then poor Mike is <laughs> editing this audio right now. And he's like, what the? Um, but you know, it's like, my body coped with all of those root causes to some degree or another, up until there was something that I couldn't cope with so much. And then that that was the trigger. Like, I think it was more so the stress it was the trigger for me where then it was like, Oh, boop. Now you have diarrhea every day and bloating so severe that people ask you if you're pregnant, and you're not pregnant. And like, you know, you're, you're struggling with things that you didn't struggle with before. Um, then well, let me ask you this to kind of flip back. So with your story, I know you think that the trigger of your SIBO back in the day was antibiotics, if I remember correctly. Can you think like, was there anything else that kind of like inched you closer to the cliff, so to speak, in this analogy? Like, do you remember? Or does anything stand out to you? Well, it's so funny, because the deeper I get in the work that I do with clients, more stuff comes up. Mm-hmm. The more you know... <laughs> the more you know. So it's interesting, just as I learn more about how the body reacts to different things. I think definitely stress was involved because when everything imploded for me, I had moved out. So I moved into a different place, um, which was a fun place, but still it was like a move that was stressful. And then I started my first like big girl job Mm. as an analyst, which my role was insane because I was doing like board level reporting for this company and they fired my boss. I basically had no boss for a while. And I was like Mm. the only analyst and board members were coming to me to make presentations and to do analytics on things but there was like no supervision. Mm. So I didn't know how to prioritize people. Like, do I go with this vice president? Like, is he, is, is he more important than this, um, the CEO or the CFO mm. or like, who do I do reporting of? How do I manage this? Yeah. My boss wasn't overseeing any of my projects. The, the boss I had got fired, <laughs> um, who I loved. I, Freaking loved my boss. If you mm. ever listen to this, he's it's a man named Ron Simcoe. Wouldn't it be funny if he, you listen to our podcast? How oh my god, so funny. He was hilarious. He he had like a and he would he would acknowledge this, but he had some redneck in him. He always says, Oh, when I get mad, my redneck bubble, it really shows. Like but he he was in this like very corporate culture, but he was super smart mm. and like a super great boss. But he kind of clashed with some of the personalities in upper management. The powers that be. Right. When they were trying to get him to like pump out all this data that just like wasn't possible. Mm. Um, so it was a very like fast pace. The company was growing at like 20% clip, which is insane. So I was in this like really fast paced, stressful job. That was my first job out of college. Um, and then uh, I was also 
running a lot at that time and probably Mm -hmm. more hyper-focused on like my weight and fitness and things like that. And I Mm -hmm. definitely wasn't eating enough, I feel like, during that time period. So there was definitely a lot of stressors. Again, antibiotics were a big one for me. Um, Again, that kind of nudged you. Like you had all the stress and you were probably undernourished. And then it was just like, boop, off you go. Well, it's so interesting because there was, I feel like there's a lot of freedom and independence growing up, which I loved about like my childhood. So hmm. I was roaming the streets free and things like that. And going I into was hair of, salons and just right. sniffing all the fumes. Yeah. And I was <laughs> going to the comic book store with my brother at like six years old and they were paying me in cards as I was putting like, I was working at the comic book store at six, like getting free packs of cards for my work. Um, but just like, we were running wild, essentially, which I love, yeah. like, in, in a lot of ways. But I also, and my my parents weren't great at this. They never ate breakfast. Mm. They w- are chronically up late and up early. So, yeah. like, they don't necessarily value sleep. Um, they're not necessarily someone that eats on a consistent schedule. Mm. Um, they're stressed to the max. So, like, my, both my parents kind of have stressful jobs. My dad, My dad was a marathon runner. So it was always like going 110 miles per hour. I just feel like it was like, right. It was kind of an environment where like there was a lot of fun and like somewhat of a relaxed attitude, but it was so, sometimes I think it was so unstructured that it was a bit stressful. Like I just remember looking back like at high school, I would, I would have some blood sugar crashes after lunch because I'd be so tired after lunch, but I never ate breakfast. Mm -hmm. So like I never ate breakfast. I was always playing sports yeah so you know i'm burning a gazillion calories playing basketball for two hours after school every day and so you know i think again there was like some structural things in my life that probably set me up for more stress and dysregulation yeah um like circadian rhythm stuff cortisol stuff and again i definitely had period issues too which kind of indicates like i i am trying to remember proceeding when everything kind of blew up if i was having no period i i can't remember Mm -hmm. but there were always chunks of time where it's like oh i've gone a really long time without period and it's like well probably should have paid more attention to that (laughs) but like you you only know what you know yeah um well and so yeah if people talked about this stuff more it would like if we could make it not taboo to talk about periods and poops and mental health and like right. you know work life balance and like i i think that we're gradually getting there as a society but right you know certainly when we were growing up yeah you didn't you didn't talk about your period other than maybe you would tell a friend that you had your period and you needed a pad <laughs> or something but right. you wouldn't ever talk about like how heavy is your flow? How many tampons do you use? Like, <laughs> right. you know, so I've met women like when we get talking about that kind of stuff and we determine like, oh, you have a really, really heavy flow. That's probably right. why you're anemic. And they're like, I never do. Because again, it's like you're not comparing pictures of period stuff with your friends. Right. Um, right. You have not- one you have one data point for how exactly. your periods you look just, and it's like it's just you it's like oh that's not normal or i can't right. tell you how many people were have told me like yeah i looking back i was constipated all my life but i didn't know it was abnormal to poop twice a week 
or once right. a week. Like, I just didn't know that you were supposed to poop every day. So I assumed that was normal. So yeah, I think I think talking more openly about poops and periods and mental health, <gasps> that should be a t-shirt. Yeah. <gasps> oh, Ooh, can you yeah. imagine right on the back? Let's Wait, talk. we should do like the IBS Freedom podcast where we talk about poop, periods, and what was the last one? And mental one? health. <laughs> and mental health. Boom, baby. There we go. We got a new t-shirt in the works. Yeah. Um, but seriously, like I think if we could make those things less taboo, right. that would help. I think it's also worth knowing all in this sense, in this conversation, all of us have root causes, quote unquote. We all mm-hmm. have stuff that have you know, contributed to some squirreliness or dysfunction or weighed us down or contributed to the person that we are today. Like, again, like, and we can't, we can't expect to live a life in a bubble. Like, it's, it's a not realistic, it's never going to happen. But B, you wouldn't be like resilient. If if you grew up living in a bubble, and then you got to your adult life, you would crumble in like a day. Because the real world demands would just crush your spirit in a nanosecond. So it's good that we go through some difficulties and some challenges and like not everything is perfect. I guess that's the best way to put it. It's a good thing that not, it is a good thing to have these imperfections in our lives because they can teach us things and they, they make us more resilient and stronger. And honestly, like this ties in with the conversation earlier I speculated on this recently. I told Mike this, and I don't know if he was like fully into the theorizing. Um, I almost wonder if like going through some adversity in your early formidable years sets you up to be like more okay with uncertainty or like less OCD-ish. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I could see it going the other way too. But like, I look back and I'm like, well, I've had ear problems and like ear surgeries since I can remember, like literally since I was a baby. My first ear surgery was when I was two. Um, I had like this brace thing that I had to wear when I was a kid. Um, Like I was kind of picked on a little bit because I was always like really quiet. Um, And I've always been like super, super tall for my age. So like, I think I got picked on a bit for being like quiet and kind of awkward and tall. Um, And it's like, I look back and I'm like, yeah, that all sucked. But also I wonder, I wonder if like facing some adversity in my early formative years kind of taught me to roll with the punches because I'm like, well, like it could be worse. Like everything's going to be okay. I almost feel like it's like the common trope of the super popular kid in high school that everything was just easy for. And then you see them like 10 years later and you're like, whoa, like they never grew outside of that at all. And again, I'm not saying that that's every popular person. If you're popular, you could be successful. Sure. I hope you're successful. But, you yeah. know, you have those instances that where you're like, trope, oh, though. yeah, I'm just like, oh, man. And I, there's people like that, I feel like, from my high school, too, where it's just like, whoa, like, they were like the it person. And then yeah. you're like, I don't know, their life, like, hasn't really panned out. Yeah, like, they, maybe it was that, too cushy. Right. Well, yeah, I, I think, again, like, if you're – if everything's just coming easy – Mm-hmm. And then you get out into the real world and it's not easy. Yeah. And there's a lot of adversity and challenges that you have to get over. I yeah. think I think that that is something that's a really interesting point. Yeah. I it's think that like, well, yeah. And there's that adage, right? Like I, I'm going to butcher it, I think, but there's an adage where it's like, um, 
two twin boys grow up with an abusive right. alcoholic father. The one the one man grows up to be a very sweet, caring father and husband. The other one grows up to be an alcoholic, abusive um, right. jerk, for lack of a better expression. And when both of the twins sit down with the therapist and are asked the same question, they have the exact same response. The question is, how did you end up the way you are? They both had the exact same response. Well, with what I grew up with, what choice did I have? Hmm. Right? So it's like, on the one hand, somebody faced adversity, the exact same adversity, the exact same genetics in this made up story. Um, But like, on the one hand, the one twin saw that horribleness and vowed to be different and vowed to overcome it and be good despite those circumstances. The other guy fell into the kind of victim mentality of like, oh, well, woe is me. I must be just like him. And there's no use fighting it. I I might as right. well, you know, and like, it's it's an interesting kind of thought experiment. I don't think this is a real story. I think it's just like an old kind of adage that gets passed around every now and then. Um, but it's I think it's really profound. Again, like somebody could go through the same situation as you and have a completely different response to it. Right. But um, Anyway, that kind of philosophical tangent. But I guess the point here is that we all have some root causes, so to speak. Um, Well, and I think one just key aspect, too, with this conversation is everyone wants this nice, clean root cause, like even just one root cause. What is my root? What is my root cause? You know, like what what is, yeah, what is that it thing that like, the one thing that pushed everything that started it all. And it's, I think you need to make, you need to wrap your head around it being root causes. Sometimes I'll label them as with, when I work with clients as like root causes or areas of focus. So Mm -hmm. what, again, if you're, if you're thinking about root causes, sometimes I'll, I'll talk about it in terms of a pie. And the things that go into the pie for th- for people that have the gut issues that we work with, like IBS and SIBO, I usually think there's like probably three major three major things that break down, and there's different things that fall under yeah. these breakdowns. So one being like digestive capacity issues, mm-hmm. so stomach acid again, like kind of what we talked about in the digestive one hundred and one episode, like yeah. what could be breaking down in there, and there's a lot of things that could could go into why someone's not having enough stomach acid. Mm -hmm. Uh, It could be nutritional. It could be a lot of different things. Um, It could be stress. It could be this or that. Then the second thing would be like motility. Mm -hmm. So some sort of motility issue. And then the third being, I think it's kind of like immune or inflammation kind of Mm -hmm. issues at play. I think like those three categories of, of things generally are going to cover like the breakdowns and you want to think about, well, what factors are at play for each of those buckets? Yeah. And um, usually that's how I like to talk about it with clients is, you know, if we can determine what, what things are causing digestive breakdowns, motility breakdowns and like inflammation or immune irregularities or dysfunction, Mm -hmm. that's typically going to, help their gut symptoms. Um, and again, you could think about it as a pie too, where it's like, 
you're going to have pieces of this pie. And sometimes we don't always know like how much of the pie is nutrition related, how much of the pie is hormonal or brain gut axis related or food poisoning related or like your need for a prokinetic or whatever. Like we don't know oftentimes, or at least when I work with someone, I like to sort of write out, well, what are the breakdowns? What are the potential factors that are Mm -hmm. driving the breakdowns? But a lot of times, like we can't predict what percent is what all the time. No. So like what percent of your puzzle or what percent of your pie, I should say, is brain gut access related without doing some experimentation or what percentage of your pie is hormone related because maybe you have those factors and maybe hormones only five hormones might be only five to 10% of your, your um, pie. Yeah. But like brain gut access stuff and vagus nerve stuff is like 80%. Yeah. And so when you put in time and effort to balance your nervous system and do vagus nerve stuff, you feel amazing. And it's like, okay, we can double down on that. And maybe we do some stuff for the hormones, but we just spend a little bit less time and energy there. I think it, it, and that's a really key point is just that I think as a practitioner, you can't really hone in and, um, the word I'm looking for. Like you can't tailor the treatment until you sort of see how someone does experimenting with different root causes. But you, but the cool thing is I think once you kind of get in the weeds, you can start doing that. Like once you work in, in experiment with different things, you can start to see the, the pie and the percentages of the pie become much clearer. But at the beginning it's, it can be very challenging because you could have had a food poisoning event and maybe that's not as big of a factor as you thought, yep. um, or maybe that was a big precipitate, precipitating factor, and maybe you tried prokinetics, yep. and what if they, they helped a little bit, but working on your stress helped way more, yeah. and it takes just sort of balancing out these different root causal areas or areas of focus that um, to where you can tailor the strategies and put more eggs in the baskets that are going to be the most helpful for you. Yeah. Well, I like I like that you brought up pie. By the way, just coincidentally, we're recording this episode the week before Thanksgiving. So my brain is already thinking about pie. <laughs> and then Amy said the word pie like 20 times in a row. And now it is all I can think about that I want pie. So oh thank gosh. you. By the way, favorite Thanksgiving pie. Ready, go. I'm going to go straight up pumpkin. I'm a pumpkin girl too. I, I, I'm, I guess well, it's a basic, cream? it's a basic bitch it is, pumpkin but pie. It's, but know? it's basic bitch because it's good. Yeah. Like yeah. all of, all of the bitches like it. That's why. Although I do like apple pie as well. So I mean, like, I like uh, all pies. Really, yeah. I'm not going to discriminate. But yeah, apple pie, pumpkin pie. Um, we usually do, I will call it pecan pie. I grew up in the North saying pecan. And now as an adult, I cringe at the word pecan because I think of a can full of pee and it's just so yucky. (laughs) So I'm trying to actively change the way I say this word. And I'm going to vow right here and now publicly to always say pecan. It sounds beautiful and eloquent and Southern and charming. And I love it. So um, I like pecan pie too, but God, it's so sugary. It's like, I can almost get behind pumpkin pie. Like, I don't feel like I'm going to have a diabetic attack after I eat pumpkin pie, even if I have whipped cream with it. Um, But I'll usually have like a little sliver of the pecan pie too. 
Um, But anyhow, anyhow, I love that you use this because this is exactly how I talk about this with patients as well. It's like, if you imagine your, um, your health situation right now Mm. as being a pie chart, does it, you know, we might identify 10 different things that contribute to that pie chart, but it would make the most sense to go after the biggest pieces of pie first. So if you have one slice of pie, like crappy sleep, that's contributing 30% to your pie, if we can knock that out and just get it out of the way, huge gains versus you might have an honest to goodness hormone imbalance that you did you, you know, it could be black and white proven on a Dutch test or a serum test. You could show like, Oh, I have high estrogen and low progesterone, but how much is that variable actually affecting the pie? We don't know. For some people that could be 80% of the pie alone, the hormone piece for somebody else, the hormone piece of the pie might be really, really tiny. Both of these people have hormone, hormone imbalances on testing. And that's something to know too, is like, having a positive test or an abnormal test does not tell you that that thing is directly causing your symptoms. It doesn't tell you what size of the pie it is or what's what size the slice of pie is either. Like it could be a very tiny sliver. It could be a huge chunk. And that's where you get into this, like being comfortable with uncertainty and being okay. Swimming in that mishmashy, like uncertain goop. Is like, right. we, you know, we can try to gather information and we see, oh, this person has low ferritin, estrogen dominance, uh, dysbiosis, candida, leaky gut, and uh, they're eating insufficient calories. Now it's our job together over the next few months to figure out which of those variables we just rattled off is the biggest piece of the pie and address it to the best of our ability, knock it off the list. And then we can move on to the number two, then the number three, then the number four. But if you take that person who has a hormone issue, quote unquote, but it's only contributing like 2% to their whole pie chart, if you start doing hormone treatment with them, it's not going to get them a lot of gains. Like they're not going to feel profoundly better treating that, even though it looks like it should be treated on black and white pieces of paper. Yeah. And I I think you you touched on a point that I want to expand on, which is the process to which you're going after different things. Mm -hmm. Like to me, if you think of, you know, motility and digestive and like immune system breakdowns being sort of the, the big issue with IBS and SIBO folks, um, well, nutrition not being subpar is going to hit every aspect of that, um, of all those areas. And again, if nutrition's off, then hormones are going to be off. So there is a process by which moving through these things that makes way more sense. Like if you are someone that's been under eating for years and years and years, and you have high cortisol and your estrogen's all wacky and things like that, you're much better off focusing on the nutrition and lifestyle pieces first. Mm. And I think that goes with everything, really. If your nutrition and lifestyle is really far gone and off, your best bet is to focus on the unsexy foundational pieces first as a part of the process because all of the, like, again, sleep, stress, diet. They affect everything. Right, right. They affect everything. So 
again, when in doubt, just work on those four areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I know it can be can be very easy to be like, oh, I need to get on like the perfect adaptogen. Yeah. And I need to, and maybe you maybe would benefit from that while you're working on other things. Who yeah. knows? But like, if you're getting lost in the weeds, trying to get hormone levels up, but your nutrition, your lifestyle factors are not where they need to be, then you're going to have, you could have a rough go yeah. of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and Again, like going back again, we're going to say it for the 15 millionth time. We will say it 15 million more times in season two. The unsexy, unglamorous, seemingly unspecific stuff is where it's at. And like, Mm -hmm. I know even like, for example, so my students at FODMAP Freedom are on week 11 this week. So I'm meeting them for the Q&A on Friday for week 11. We've now gone through leaky gut, histamine, hormones. This week is detox. They're probably all having nightmares because this is like the most horrifying module of the whole thing. (laughs) All about the chemicals and the crap in our world that are slowly killing us all and how to detox them. And it's by week 11 out of 12, I kind of get these big eyes at me in the Q&As and people are frankly overwhelmed at least a bit. And they're like, I don't know, like, I feel like I have so much to work on. And oh, my God, what do I do? How do I prioritize this? And I always hammer home the same thing. This at this point in the course, I'm like, go back to the first few modules. If something stood out to you in those first few modules, where we're talking about sleep and stress and vagal tone, and, you know, like iron and blood sugar, and like motility kind of stuff. If that stuff, if any of it, resonated with you, or you feel like it's appropriate for you to work on, go back to those. Don't get lost in the weeds in the second half of the course where we start talking about much more specific nerdy details like histamine and mast cells and leaky gut. If you treat the leaky gut, but your cortisol is through the roof because you're stressed all the time, your leaky gut will never heal point blank. Like high cortisol leads to leaky gut end of story. Similarly, if you're super stressed out and you have all these stress hormones floating around like cortisol and all of his ombres, those chemicals, those hormones directly degranulate mast cells. So if you're yeah. trying to treat the histamine thing and you're stressed or your sleep sucks, good luck, man. There's no amount of quercetin on planet Earth that's going to overcome shitty sleep and a lot of stress. And that's just, it's just wiring. That's how it's set up. So our bodies, and there are other examples too, like cortisol affects your your thyroid hormones. Cortisol affects your estrogen, progesterone. And don't think that you're off the hook if your cortisol measured normal either, because there's a lot of other stress hormones. Like mm. the point is we hammer the unsexy, unglamorous, seemingly unspecific, unsexy basics because they, it, they affect literally everything else. And by the time you get to the histamine and the detoxification and the leaky gut and the candida and all that other crap, you'll have so much less work to do because you've already Mm. cleaned up a whole boatload of the contributing factors. So by the time you get to the pieces of the pie chart that make up like 5% or less of your picture, you probably won't even need to do anything about them, honestly. Like the little hormone things will probably go away. The little histamine things or immune things will probably melt away as you work on these unsexy, unglamorous basics. So, yeah, and I, it's so interesting because, again, people probably know we communicate a lot about 
are the cases that we're working on and things like that. Um, Armand tells me that I talk to Amy more than him, and I'm perfectly right. okay with that. <laughs> right. She's basically Stealing my work. Way. You're my work spouse. We have um, work wives. Yes, we're work wives. I had, but a lab, I, think... I had a lab husband in the dissection lab, by the way. Oh. Um, his wife was Competition. aware... Yes. Yeah. So shout out to Otra, my my lab husband, we would dissect humans together. And it was a grand old time. But I think just through our discussions, we get asked all the time, this question on like discovery calls, it's like, what's your success rate? And you know, there's definitely people that we haven't, I know, there's definitely people we haven't been able to help. We're not miracle workers. But usually, again, for most people, we've talked this through for most people, we can pretty much figure out why they're not moving forward. Um, And a lot of times, it's the unsexy stuff that they've never been able to totally resolve. So maybe it's just like, we've been working together, and they're totally just stressed about their work situation. And that has never changed no matter they've worked on their gut stuff for five Mm -hmm. years but their work has always been horrific and they've always dreaded going to work every day yeah well if that's always in the equation and hasn't ever been changed like that could be a big factor and i tell that to people too like it's always interesting when we start working on root causal things or start working on things um where I look at some of the stuff they worked on where I'm like, oh, like this makes sense why you did this, but you just did things in the wrong order. Like nutrition was mm-hmm. never where it needed to be. And so it prevented everything else from working. Yeah, Like what you're saying, where if you just work on the nutrition and the lifestyle factors, it makes everything else way more effective. Well, on the other side of the coin, it can keep you from getting better yeah. in the past. Like if you're looking back at past experiences, like if nutrition's been really subpar, no matter what you did during that time, you probably weren't going to find a ton of success. I just talked to a lady yesterday. I told you a little bit about this one, but I talked to a lady yesterday. She said, I think I've had constipation to some degree all my life. Like I remember being constipated in high school and the shit kind of hit the fan. And now she's, she's had like IBS symptoms, bloating, kind of mixed bowel pattern, like mixed IBS she was diagnosed with SIBO on what I interpreted to be a negative SIBO test. That's a whole nother story for another day. Um, the number of practitioners that tell people they have SIBO when the SIBO test is clearly <laughs> negative is right. astonishing, actually. So yeah, uh, that'll be an episode soon. But, you know, she was told she had SIBO. She's done rifaximin, herbal antimicrobials, and the elemental diet. Meanwhile, when we did like three days in chronometer, Amy, the girl is oh eating... God. 10 to 12 grams of fiber per day. Yep. Like just not even, you know, 40, 50% of the RDA for fiber. And I'm like, okay, like that'll give you IBS. And then top that off with some recent antibiotics in recent years, including directly preceding her IBS onset. It's like, okay, that's pretty obviously dysbiosis, maybe candida, like the antibiotics causing some problems. And then you're dealing with that. But like, that was so like just right. you know the free version of chronometer will tell you how much fiber you're getting and you don't even need one of us to interpret it you can literally see that on the app but these practitioners are all too happy to not only take her money but overtreat the heck out of her microbiome and de- further decimate her microbiome right and because like and they're hunting after SIBO and it's like why don't you just help the girl assess her fiber intake and learn how to get more fiber in her diet 
So like I recommended, you know, like HelloFresh or one of those kind of services where like, okay, if you don't think you can cook and prep that much food, maybe get one of those subscription meal services and try that for a while. And then you can kind of organically slowly start learning some recipes and build up your recipe repertoire and like learn how you like certain vegetables and like, let's just get the quantity and the diversity of your fiber up and start with that. Mm -hmm. And then maybe we could get into the conversation of killing bad boogeymen, but I don't even think you have to go there. But like, that's, it's so basic. And meanwhile, like she also never hit the RDA on folate, not a single day. She got enough thiamine on one of the three days. She got enough iron on one of the three days in her diet. And I'm just like, there are so many glaringly obvious nutritional things that could be worked on. And it doesn't seem sexy and glamorous to tell someone just eat more fiber with IBS. But like, what if that's the thing that cures this woman was just eat more fiber? Like how astonishing and insane would that be considering that she's done rifaximin, herbal antimicrobials and the elemental diet? Right. I know. I know. Well, and, and again, you bring up individual nutrients too. I mean, those were some of my favorite episodes when mm-hmm. fr- from the past, from our heyday, is like just going through. No, we have a heyday. Each- Doesn't that mean we're over the hill and well, we're like getting worse? I mean, we're we're like we can't 100. Say we have a heyday. That sounds like a bad thing. I, okay, well, we're like a, a hundred and eight or nine episodes deep into this thing at this point. It was around like fifty or sixty, so it was a while. It was back, a while but- ago, but it wasn't the heyday. Damn it. Don't make us sound outdated and old. What's the civil, like the Abraham Lincoln, like four scores and... Yes, four score and 50 podcast episodes ago. Right, right. But, you know, with those episodes, what was so interesting, and I even think we were kind of surprised, is we were just PubMedding, like going on PubMed and looking at individual nutrients and being astonished that pretty much every one is needed for like intestinal barrier function. Um, I'm still every shook nutrient. about the vitamin C thing. Yeah. Like I underestimated yeah. humble vitamin C. I had no idea. Yeah. So again, like I just think it's so imperative to get adequate nutrition from both a macro and micro standpoint. Yeah. And I think probably of all the root causal issues that I see with clients, that's the one that's mismanaged the most. Yeah. Um, again, like things like stress is definitely another big one that like it gets sort of brushed over, brushed to the side, yeah. like it's there, but we're like, I, I don't want to quit my job or I don't want to, yeah. um, get a divorce or like, again, these are all like horribly Some hard of them are things really to big do decisions. Some of right. sometimes stress right. is easy where it's just like, you know, could you like find a, a little bit more of a work-life balance and like pick up a new hobby? Right. You know, right. like, like you need to tell your boss I'm leaving at five end of conversation and you just need to leave. Right. So like right. sometimes the stress thing is easy. Um, you just have to do it. And sometimes it's really freaking challenging. Like again, dealing with a toxic relationship, dealing with right um, a job that you absolutely ha- hate or you absolutely dread. And like, yeah, it's, that one's the tough one. And also, I I know for myself, too, like, sometimes it's tough to talk about, or it was, I'm getting better at it now. It was historically tough to talk about, like, stress, because in my mind, I was like, well, I'm not a mental health practitioner. Like, right. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychotherapist or a counselor. Like, I don't have the training 
to really dissect somebody's stress with them. But I feel like even so, like, you could just be like a real human and talk to them. And like, if something right. sucks, you could say, Oh, man, that sucks. I'm sorry that you went through that. Right. Like, even that little bit, or like just encouraging somebody to find a new therapist and work with a therapist. Right. Um, right. Like, I that don't can think go we a can... long way. Right. I don't think we can solve every stress situation. No. But I do think that one thing we can do as providers is just shine lights on things. So yeah. we can help them build awareness around certain things. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely some aspects of stress management that we can have a much bigger role in. But then there's also stuff that's just out of our scope. But even if it's out of our scope, we can shine a light on it and give some suggestions on like, oh, this is something you should probably work with a therapist on or, um, you know, just acknowledging that this is a potential factor for them. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not something they can really do right now. If it's like a job situation and they're relying on their income, like don't just yeah. like quit your job tomorrow, but maybe start planning. Would be um, right. Maybe start planning like your ways that you can start looking for other jobs, like start kind of poking yeah. around and, and even just noodling, noodling on like what an exit strategy would look mm-hmm. like and what kind of job you'd look for in the future and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, again, just like having real conversations with people. Sometimes that's all it comes down to. Um, right. Like, right. It's funny. Cause I, I never know what people expect when they hop on appointments with me. Like it'd be like the very first appointment with me. Um, I imagine it's much weirder and much less glamorous than people think it will be. <laughs> it's like, we yeah, just end up talking yeah. about real stuff so much and going off on these little right. tangents of like, Oh, wait, let's explore that. That sounds like it's really relevant. Um, right. But that's kind of what makes it fun and interesting. And impactful right. Like too. I, I've never been, a, we've been, we've done one joint call with a client, but yeah, again, I'm, I'm not in your process, but I feel as though we are both unstructured in how we go through an intake process with a client. Like, again, we like to let the conversation kind of flow and we have flags that we might go back to because we did a case review, but it's not like we're, we have a very structured initial call, or at least that's what I'm imagining your call would be more of a flow and a conversation than like we we have to do it in this order or whatever. Yeah. Well, the thing I joke about all the time is like, I try to extract all the information out of you in the paperwork ahead of the appointment. And that way I can kind of, because I have like some templates for my notes where I'm like, okay, here's any notes I have about hormones. Here's any notes I have about, you know, digestion. Here's any notes that I might have about SIBO root causes, um, you know, stress and sleep. And I, I have some areas where I kind of fill in the blanks as I go. And then in the actual appointment, it's it's very conversational. It's very fluid. It's very like laid back. But I'm really just trying to nail down a really good sense of the person's timeline of like, mm. this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, and now I'm here. Um, and I'm just filling in the gaps of my understanding. Like yesterday, I had a woman and she said, uh, like sensitivity to light. I was like, okay, can you elaborate on that? Like, do you get headaches or migraines? Is it fluorescent light? She's like, no, I just feel like, like when I was growing up and playing soccer, like, and it was in the bright sunlight, like I would be squinting way more than like people around me. And like, I would need sunglasses, like way more than the people around me. And I just always noticed that about myself. And I was like, oh, okay, that's different than what I thought. So it's like, I'm kind of just having people elaborate on some stuff that I'm 
not right. sure about. Um, but yeah, we kind of just hop around depending on what needs the most attention or where I need the most clarity typically. Right. But yeah, it's very, it's very conversational. Um, but going back to the root cause conversation, because I, I think that the next logical episode after this, by the way, is is to talk about like SIBO root causes. Um, I think we already have one from season one, but let's maybe flesh this out and do a part two next time on that. Um, well, there is... I feel like, well, I feel like, again, like this episode, we've sort of laid out that we've laid out the philosophy of how to maybe look at your root causal equation, mm-hmm. but then also what are the foundational pieces that you need, that everyone yeah. needs to be doing. Yeah. Um, and these pieces, again, are constantly overlooked for the sexier things. Huge. So All the time. I, I think that's the biggest takeaway from yeah. this one. Yeah. I think, again, like, I don't know, like, how, how, how long we want to go for this one. Again, we're on, we've another clearly unplanned um, the, these, this episode. You get um, what you get with the IBS Freedom Podcast people. I don't know what to tell you at this point, 100 something episodes right. in. But it's like, a, we'll just do the kind of more specific type things next time. Yeah. Like of a... I do. Sorry. I do have a third type of root causes, though, that I wanted to mention. Because believe okay, it or not, yeah. we, we talked about two out of the three. Okay, so we've got the things that kind of lead you down a path, but they don't shove you over the edge. Mm. The, the antecedents, if you want, if you want to take the quiz at the end and see if you remember the words, the word is antecedent. Right. Um, the second type is the triggering event. And that's usually like, you were you felt okay one day and not okay the next. Right. So this would be like the food poisoning, or you took a type of medicine like a PPI or an antibiotic, or you know you got an illness or an injury, like something right. took you and Acute. just hurtled you over the edge and like well, off the cliff you go. Right. The third type of root causes that are equally important, if not more important than the other two, are called mediators. Again, mm-hmm. terms don't matter. What it is is it's the stuff that might not have been there previously. It probably didn't throw you off the edge, but it's keeping you stuck now, or it's weighing Mm. you down, it's burdening you, or it's contributing to inflammation or dysfunction in some way that is not conducive to your healing. Mm. And in a metaphor I proposed on Instagram a while back about SIBO root causes, I likened it to... All right, if you imagine feet on solid ground being no symptoms, you're happy and healthy. But if you're like dangling off the edge of the cliff, hanging on by your fingernails, that is what we would represent as having symptoms, having IBS or bloating or whatever. Um, The antecedents are the things that get you closer to the edge of the cliff or further away. So like if we're talking about the Grand Canyon as the cliff, Like, are you right at the edge of the Grand Canyon or are you in Tucson, Arizona? For those of you who don't know, Tucson is very far away from the Grand Canyon. Um, So it's like, how vulnerable are you? Like, are you teetering on the edge and you don't know it? Or are Mm -hmm. you way far away and you could could get hit by a truck tomorrow and you would be pretty okay, all things considered, Right. right? The third type of root cause is the stuff that maybe didn't influence your position and it didn't actually throw you off the edge of the Grand Canyon. But now you're wearing a backpack and it's a question of, are you wearing a backpack full of feathers or are you wearing a backpack full of bricks? Mm. And it's the bricks. 
If you are hanging on for dear life, clawing by your fingernails, hanging on the edge of the Grand Canyon in this, in this situation, and your goal is to pull yourself up on top of that cliff again so that you no longer have symptoms, if that's like the metaphor for healing, it's going to be a hell of a lot harder to do that if you have a backpack full of eight bricks, as opposed to an empty backpack or a backpack full of feathers. So right. and this, honestly, this is the one I think stress is the big, like, we just, we gave you two examples. For me, I didn't feel like stress, stress may or may not have been like an antecedent leading up to the dysfunction for me. But I think being stressed out was the triggering thing for me. Amy kind of alluded to, um, it was a little bit of both for you, it sounds like, like you had work stress, and then maybe like, some, some stuff too. So we gave you examples of stress, maybe throwing you off the edge of the cliff. But like, like, I'm thinking the the one that comes to my mind is like an unsupportive partner or something. Like maybe you're kind of like coasting along, like not necessarily super thrilled with your relationship. And then like your partner is just kind of blocking you every step of the way. Yeah, like being to getting better, being overly critical, questioning every penny you spend on your health, like, do you really need that supplement? Don't you have probiotics already? Why are why are you going to pay that iterative doctor that much money? Um, and again, like some conversations about finances make perfect sense in a relationship. Right. I'm not telling you to like buy a Corvette and not tell your spouse. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, it, is it stuff like that? Like, are they approaching it with just like curiosity? Like, hey, let's talk about it. Or are they like, Mary, mm-hmm. don't spend that. Or like, right. yeah, just being unsupportive. I've had patients where straight up, like, I recommend dietary advice. And several sessions later, it comes out that the spouse is being super unsupportive and like basically like any dietary changes that they have to make the spouse is like oh this is such a burden to me i can't believe i have to deal with this and it's like shut up larry you're not even eating the food like i'm prepping the food and eating the food why why do you care um but yeah and just like toxic relationships and nasty people that are draining you um again the health the health ocd or any sort of health health ocd stuff Like maybe you could put up with your crappy marriage or your crappy boss or your crappy job or your crappy commute. Maybe you could put up with that when your body was reasonably healthy. But now, you know, you were just walking around down up on the top of the Grand Canyon with a brick full of backpacks. And you were like, yeah, this is hard, but like, I'm okay. But the minute you get hurtled off the edge of the Grand Canyon and you're trying to climb up and get back on top of the cliff here, then it's like, ooh good luck. That's going to be way harder with those bricks. Right. And again, this is where people like get really defensive. Honestly, like I've I've straight up been screamed at for stuff like this, where people are like, like, this isn't stress. Like, I did not stress myself out into being sick. And, and they wig out over the stress thing. And they deny it vehemently, sometimes like they absolutely draw the line of sand, they say, Stress was not the trigger for me. Stress was not the root cause. It is not the root cause. I refuse to acknowledge that stress was the thing. I can't believe that you would say that. And it's like, well, sometimes it's like the fact that you're being so defensive. Right, right. Actually tells me that you are quite stressed. And again, I never said that it was the trigger for you. I never said that it was a problem earlier in your life. But now that you're trying to heal that stress is weighing you down, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. So that's one of the big ones that I think uh, fits in this category. Also, I would say like nutritional deficiencies. Oh, for sure. 
maybe you coped with mild to moderate B12 deficiency for a lot of years. But now that you're trying to actively heal tissues, maybe you just need the B12 now. (laughs) Right, right. Like now it's a non-negotiable all of a sudden. Right, like maybe having some blood trigger swings was just like, eh, like it just was there. It wasn't really yeah. disrupting your life. But now that your gut's a wreck, it, you, you're feeling those much more intensely and it's preventing you from improving. Yeah. 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 So a root cause doesn't have to be a triggering event to be relevant. Um, right. And again, right. and some of these we can't change. Some of them, you know, I can't go back in time and undo the ear surgeries and the antibiotics that I had or the Lyme disease. But um, I think next time we talk, we'll talk a little bit about this. But I think the most important thing is a kind of like trying to acknowledge root causes to the best of your ability. Um, you know, acknowledge them first, then you could decide if you could do anything about them. Um, I think if you're looking like at, at probably the most important root causes. Think about when did you start feeling the symptoms you're dealing with now and look like maybe within about a six month window of that. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's the thing too, is it doesn't have to be like something happens on a Tuesday and then Wednesday you have IBS. It could right. be like, oh yeah, a month or two prior, I had antibiotics for you know an upper respiratory infection. Oh, and like a few months prior to that, like my my super favorite boss got fired and right. that was really stressful. So I had a lot more work than usual. Like just paint it. I usually ask people paint a picture for me. What was your life like in the six months leading up to your symptom onset? That'll right. give you the most clues. And then you can hem and haw over the other stuff later on. But um, I think that's the first thing is just like identify them to the best of your ability. And then number two, we'll talk about it a little bit next time. What bodily systems or bodily tissues were affected negatively by that thing? Right. Right. So like food poisoning, you you should have a knee-jerk reflex at this point. Food poisoning, motility. <laughs> food poisoning, right, right. motility. Like right. if you had food poisoning as a root cause, there's your winner, winner, chicken dinner. You know for sure you need to work on motility. And then you can kind of flesh it out from there. If you had a root cause of using Prilosec, winner, winner, chicken dinner, you now know digestive capacity and stomach acid become your main focus. So right. kind of looking at it at that angle of like, something happened that was triggering or root causal for me, what tissue or what body part was affected? And now how can I help that tissue or that body part work better, do its job effectively, um, and that's where you kind of live in the here and now. And that's where you build your treatment protocol. Yeah, no, I think that that's, that's really helpful. And, and I think sometimes too, with like the body systems, which makes it a little bit more challenging sometimes is how much everything interacts. So like, again, the nutrition and the lifestyle piece are going to affect every system. So that's why they're so helpful and can have such a big impact if there's like if sleep's been lacking for years working on that could really help a lot of different systems Mm -hmm. um but i do think sometimes like it cracks me up and we'll talk about this more i think next week but you know you have someone where it's like they they come to you and they say i need to get my gut sorted out so then my hormones get sorted out and you're like Okay, but 
we could also potentially, you also might benefit from supporting hormones and then that would help your gut. Like there's all this interplay between different systems too, where sometimes we just want this linear path where, and I see this with the brain. I just did a brain gut access post. You might have saw it. I think you Mm. saw it, right? You you commented on it. Yeah, it was the one with like the eight things. I was like, oh, I have a bunch of these. Oh no, not that, not oh, that okay. one. The one, it, the it was a reel, and I was basically saying, oh, yeah, people yeah. come come to me, and they're like, I want to get rid of my anxiety. I just need to work on my gut. Yeah, and my like my microbiome's off, and that's what's causing my anxiety. Yeah. and you know maybe maybe that would put a dent in your that anxiety, but wouldn't it, yeah, wouldn't it be better to potentially focus on? like your mental health and your nervous yeah. system and like your brain and do some mental health things that, and then also support the microbiome. Like you can be doing two things at one time. And I think yeah. sometimes we want to have this nice linear thing and you might notice again, going through treatment or whatever, going through different strategies that, you know, working on the gut does really help the anxiety um, or maybe working on your mental health helps more with the anxiety. Like you can sort of determine if there's a more Mm -hmm. of a leniency on one system versus another. Yeah. But I do think we want to compartmentalize a lot of these systems and they all work together somewhat too, which makes it messy. All these root causes are messy. That's the basically end story with all this. There's no linear path. Yeah. Well, to your point, everything in the body is a two way street. Like right. I, I guarantee you there are weird connections that we don't even know about yet. Like there's probably an eyeball liver axis and we just right. don't even know. <laughs> right. Like right. Somebody will discover that later on and be like, whoa, look how the eyeball and the liver are connected. Holy crap. So, you know, it's like, just know that everything is connected and it's a two way street. It's bi-directional. Sometimes the air, you know, remember chemistry and we would draw like, you would draw the arrows for like the arrows going two ways if it was a bi-directional reaction or the yep. arrow going one way if it was a one-way reaction. And like, you could almost imagine like, do you do you draw that arrow with a Sharpie or a pencil? Like how, right. how heavily emphasized is one direction versus the other in this bi-directional relationship? But the point is, it is a two-way street. It is bi-directional. So don't ever you know, fool yourself into thinking that you can work on one system only, and then magically everything else will get better. Because um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I don't think it hurts to work on both. And they might be connected in ways that you don't fully understand, or your practitioner doesn't fully understand. But treating yourself as a whole person and like, kind of trying to just build a healthy human body in general would be helpful. Um, I yeah. had a patient recently, he kind of vaporized for a little bit. He was working on some stuff, mold, among other things. And uh, he came back and he was saying, yeah, I, f- I feel quite a lot better. Um, he had done another round of Rifaximin and felt like he was maintaining his progress finally, which was a first for him. But he also mentioned that prior to doing that, he did ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. And he said it like his I'm and I don't know enough to promote this necessarily, but he said his anxiety is basically completely gone. And mm-hmm. he feels like his gut is a lot better now because he's not anxious all the time. 
And then he coincidentally tells me, oh, and by the way, I did another round of Refaxman like we talked about. And I feel like I'm maintaining that progress, even though I stopped taking it like a month or two ago. This is a first for me. Usually I would have regressed by this point. And it's just like, and and he's working on the mold at his home, like, like they're remediating. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, this all kind of makes sense. Like you did something, um, you know, that's like a little bit, whoa, to some people, but you did something that really quickly and really efficiently rewired your brain and helped with the anxiety really quickly. Um, And now like your gut is feeling more stable and more normal. And now like we're having him diversify, you know, his fiber sources and, and work on basically dysbiosis now. Um, But yeah, like even stuff like that, like, I mean, there's therapy, yoga, hypnosis, ayahuasca, like, you know, there's all sorts of stuff that you could do. It just depends on like, what feels the most doable for you. Um, But also, I want to point out, don't like, go do ayahuasca, and think that that's going to magically solve all your problems. If you I was just going to say that like toxic literally... relationships <laughs> at a job that you hate at a commute that you hate, and you're like, intrinsically, just super unhappy in your life. Yeah, I think that people were in the middle of Googling how to get ayahuasca before you just said that. (laughs) Before you just said that. Again, if you live with somebody who's truly toxic, or if you have to deal with somebody on a regular basis who's just awful to deal with, no amount of ayahuasca will cure that for you. Yeah, you you gotta you gotta deal with that. Yeah. All right. Well. I think that's a wrap on. Remember root causes when when I one. when I was like, I don't know, I don't know if we can get through all the root causes. Oh yeah, no, it's it. I like how we did it this way, kind of the framework first, and then yep. we'll talk about some individual root causes next time. Um, also, I want to point out, we can now just laugh at me because you guys know at the end of the episode, I do my shtick of like, please give us a nice review and like like and subscribe and comment and stuff. Well, we were talking about like, maybe we should do that it like in the beginning or the middle of the episode before people like leave. see all of you probably left by now anyway. But right. We're the but only we're like, here. Oh, we should do this earlier in the episode to remind people. And then I was like, Oh, I'll do it right in the middle of the episode. I'll just like interject it. And of course, I did not. I completely forgot because I got swept up in the conversation with my well, I didn't remind you either. So beautiful, amazing pod person. I blame you for being too good and too fun to talk to. So that's, that's the problem. Let's all blame Amy collectively. And then um, maybe I'll do that someday. But I think for right now, I'm just going to ask you at the end. So guys, uh, if you liked this episode of the IBS Freedom Podcast, please mail some potatoes to your grandma. No, write us a good review. <laughs> like, comment, subscribe. Uh, apparently on some podcasting apps, there's a way that you can like give us a star or give us a heart on Spotify, Spotify, give us a five star review. Yeah, please. And thank you guys. Then if you so choose, you can mail your grandma some potatoes. If you are listening to this part, comment on the YouTube video, just say my grandma loves potatoes. And I will know that you reached the end of this episode. And that will bring me an immense amount of joy. And also it will confuse everybody who hasn't watched the episode yet. Um, and we will see you back here for root causes part dose on the IBS Freedom Podcast. So toodaloo until then. Be sick. <laughs>